and welcome to And Another Thing podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Tony Clement. In the age of coronavirus, uh, Jody Jenkins is not with me for this particular interview, but uh, we'll be mixing and adding uh, as we uh, pump out this podcast. But we're very pleased to have on our podcast the one and only Mr. Mark Critch. Mark, welcome to the program. It's great to have you, buddy. And, uh, of course, uh, Mark is known for his uh, great comedic work. On uh, This Hour has 22 Minutes and many other things. I've seen him MC charitable events and do all sorts of things. And now uh, let's get right to the interesting thing. You're an author now, aren't you? I am. Yes, I am. It's, uh, I put out a book with good friends at the public, uh, Penguin Random House there, uh, and uh, Son of a Critch is a memoir of my early life growing up in Newfoundland, and uh, now I'm working on my sequel to that, um, and uh, that'll be out uh, next year, but uh, in which I get into, uh, you know, more about, like, you know, the career and uh, harassing politicians like you. <laughs> That's right. It's one of the best sports of that. Well, thank you for that. We're, we'll get into that in a second. But Son of a Critch has been well-received. Congratulations. And uh, yeah, I, I, I found it interesting that obviously you have a great love for Newfoundland and Labrador. And um, uh, I want you to go into that a little bit and, and also answer the age-old question, perhaps. Is your connect, connection to Newfoundland and Labrador greater than your connection to Canada? Or is it about the same? Or uh, how, do, how do we measure these things? I knew the Mohawk did. That's, uh, yeah. you know, I've seen the photos of them standing on these girders on the top of the Empire State Building. And that's exactly what Patrick Rich, my grandfather, did. Wow. And he made some money down there, and then he came back. And a lot, actually, there's still a lot in, in, uh, in, in different, the union there for the iron workers in New York um, is uh, they're, they're nicknamed Fish. And the reason they're nicknamed Fish on the site was because there were so many Newfoundlanders that they go, oh, come here, Fish. Hey, you're a fish. <laughs> I've actually heard a lot worse when it comes to racial epithets, but uh, there you <laughs> exactly, go. Exactly, yeah. So we got off easy. So anyway, he came back uh, with a bit of money and started a family, and he started working as a, as a carpenter. And uh, he had two kids, and when Dad was five, he fell off a, uh, a, a house oh and broke his leg God. and went to the hospital where he caught TB and died from it because TB was rampant here. And so Dad would always tell me about, you know, the state of things at the time, and there's, a, you know, of course, the big push. There's a, there's a, a joint Canada state independent 
Center of Economic Union with the United States. But uh, Dad would talk about the extreme poverty at the time, and uh, literacy was incredibly high. And, and really, one thing that had saved us was when the Americans came and set up a lot of bases during the war. Right. Um, there, there was cash money in people's hands for the first time ever, and Dad worked with the Americans. So that was it. And at the time, the British governors told the Americans, don't pay them what you pay other people because they're not used to money and they'll get out of control if they have too much money. Wow. <laughs> that was great. So, so I think at, so at the so Joint Academy, there were a lot of, you know, uh, growing pains and a lot, not over the years, but uh, I think Canada has been uh, great for uh, certainly my family. And, uh, and I, I'm one of the people who get to travel across this country and, you know, do shows and meet people. And I don't think enough Canadians get to travel across this country and see how great we are. So, so sometimes, you know, when we, when we joined, there was a lot of people went up to the mainland trying to get work. And then the newbie jokes came and all this stuff. So there's a bit of a resentment on that, too. And, of course, uh, the lower Churchill Hydro deal was a, bit, was a big issue and stuff. But um, I think we've settled into Canada quite nicely now, and most people here would say they're Canadians. But because my dad was born a Newfoundlander and became a Canadian in 1949, as did Gordon Vincent, you know, right. first-generation Canadian. Right, yeah, that's true, eh? Yeah, and, uh, and of course, Joe, Joey Smallwood, we always say, is a father of Confederation. Yeah, so as, as I travel, it took me a while to travel Canada and really feel a connection with Canada because, um, I mean, we're a little island, right? So, like, you know, we don't drive around the, the different parts of the country as a lot of people do in the mainland. So I think now with the... Uh, you know, the, the great way we're all connected. I think people feel uh, a lot closer to Canada than they did in those first early decades. Yeah, because you've been traveling around, you've been working around the country, and Newfoundlanders are everywhere, uh, you know, they're in every province. Well, that's the thing, yeah, yeah, there's more Newfoundlanders probably in Alberta than there are Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, Fort McMurray being the largest Newfoundland city, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Now, um, uh, tell us, I mean, I know you've got a particular attachment to the Newfoundland Regiment, too. Uh, you, you've you've uh, at least extolled you know their history, and uh, maybe a lot of our listeners are not aware of the unique history of the Newfoundland Regiment. Oh, we'll have to talk about that. Yeah. So the new, when the call went out for the first World War, uh, so we said had put together a regiment, and had a lot of passion at the time, and they were known as the Blue Puttees because the Puttees, which are the uh, uh, leg wrappings that you would see in those World War uh, one uniforms for the Brits. Um, they were all khaki color, of course. We didn't have enough. We threw together our uniforms, so ours were blue. So we were made fun of when we went over there. Oh. But quickly became one of the uh, more pop, but the one of the most reliable uh, fighting forces. But then on July 1st came this huge battle above on Hamel, in uh, which uh, a whole generation of the best and brightest was wiped out. And, uh, uh, and and after that, uh, we you know we keep sending kept sending more young people. But we had uh, Tommy Ricketts was one of our great heroes. Yes, he he was the youngest person to get the Victoria Cross, and he was 16 years old. And um, he uh, his his unit was pinned down, and he kept running back and forth uh, several times to get more ammunition. Somehow going uh, unharmed, and then captured 40 Germans in a little barn in this place in Belgium, and I've been able to go to that little farm in Belgium where the family is still so grateful for what he did that day that uh, the now, I guess, the great-great-grandson of the fellow who owned the front at the time, he found this giant stone as a, you know, a shoulder height, and on it he has put a, a beautiful copper 
uh, kind of uh, engraving of Tommy and telling the story of it because he still feels connected to thinking, you know, this man who was long gone. One more story about Tommy Ricketts. Yeah. Years after we put our first National War Memorial here um, to uh, uh, to the fallen, and uh, after that, the next king, the king came uh, to visit, and he wanted to meet the great war hero Tommy Ricketts, who had now become a pharmacist. He had a little, he had a little pharmacy there, and. Uh, he said, uh, I really want to meet Ricketts. So they went to Ricketts and said, the king is coming. He wants to meet you. And Ricketts said, well, you know what? He should meet with some of the wounded guys. Uh, I, I don't like being a hero. I'm not a hero. They're, they're the heroes. Uh, I don't want to come down there because the attention will be on me. Right. And they said, oh, boy. And then the king said, where's, where's Ricketts? And he said, oh, no, he, he didn't want to come, sir. And they tried to explain. He said, okay, uh, get a car. So he hops in the car, leaves the ceremony, drives down to the little pharmacy by Victoria Park. Wow. And uh, gets out, knocks on the door. Tommy comes to the door, broom in hand, little red apron on, and so just looks at him. And the king says, this one, shake your hand. And he shakes his hand, and he turns, and he gets back in the car and goes back to the <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Isn't that the coolest story? That, that's me. I'd never heard that. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah, so, and, and so I had a, so myself and my buddy Alan Hocko, people know from Republic of Dora, all his great work as an actor, we were going to do a documentary on... So many of these amazing stories about these guys, because we all think of uh, Beaumont Hamill's our National Day of Mourning, July 1st here. And that's the weird thing about doing Canada Day in the morning. Yeah. We all do a remembrance ceremony, and once noon comes in, we celebrate being part of Canada. Oh, okay. And, yeah, so we go down to, well, we have like our, our remembrance day, total thing, uh, all, all day on July 1st until about noon, and then it's okay, you know, to celebrate being part of Canada. So really, you should come down to the I, I will, I, I've been... Uh, I've been tethered to doing Canada Day in my constituency for so long, but now now I'm free and clear. So yeah, it's a great chance to explore some of that history. I accept uh, your invitation. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and then so myself and Hawk, we just documentary kind of celebrating a bunch of the stories of these soldiers that you know Beaumont Hamill wears in such a big massacre and, and has such an effect on us, overshadowed them. So we want to tell that story, but some of the great stories as well. And at the time, they had this guy Father Nangle. He was a priest with them and uh, he went over there and he was with them when many of them when they died so after the war he went back uh the public war graves commission and he went around and he bartered for the farmers for the land in turkey and belgium france where these newfoundlanders fell he knew what they felt mm-hmm. he uh, created six different parks there uh and each one of them have a caribou statue in them which is the and I've seen that on the gravestones at the Commonwealth Cemetery in Belgium. So that's uh, that's so unique and 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 uh, so particular to Newfoundland. That's amazing. Yeah, and so he, he did that, and then we found out uh, on a way over to this documentary where we visited all these parks and grave sites um, that Hako and I both had relatives who uh, fought in the war. He had a great uncle, Walter Green, and <clears throat> I had one J.J. Tobin. I didn't really know the family history because Dad's father died when he was five, etc. And it turned out, uh, my friend Larry Doley uh, at the Rooms, uh, which is our museum here, he did a lot of research, and he was able to find out that the two of these guys, Al Hawko's great uncle and mine, were best friends who signed up together, fought side by side, and uh, were wounded, and then got better, and then came back, and then were killed, and now were apart from each other, fighting side by side. And... Father Nangle saw what they fell, put them in a, in a grave together, and then went back and buried them side by side properly. So wow. we were able to go and visit side by side the graves of our two relatives, which just shows the impact that that 
that as somebody who uh, fell or came back. And then the justice here, we put a business on, on the park, on Victoria Park, along the uh, board of that park, and Morgan McDonald, this wonderful artist, um, created this giant sculpture with 100 faces, cast moldings of bronze of descendants of people who were in the regiment. That's called 100 Faces of the Great War. And we were able to put that in the park where uh, many of them would, uh, many people would gather and wait for word from overseas on, on how they were doing and where the soldiers themselves came uh, to recuperate after the war. So I'm kind of, yeah, I'm tangled into a lot of the history there. Yeah, no, it's great. Because it's, it's always been this thing that hangs over us uh, uh, where we have such a small population and so many of them died. And also, we repaid our war debt at the end of, of the war, which is one of the reasons that led to the economic hardships right. that led to us joining uh, Canada at, uh, in 1949. I'm talking with Mr. Mark Critch, a great uh, Newfoundlander Canadian uh, comedian. Uh, and uh, Mark, it's great to have you on our podcast. And another thing, I want to switch gears and uh, just talk about uh, your time on 22 Minutes and on CBC Comedy. You've had some great moments. What's the craziest stuff you've seen uh, doing that show? Oh, boy. Um, in, in the, old, the thing was, when I started, everybody, the original cast of uh, Rick Mercer, Greg Toomey, Kathy Jones, and Mary Walsh were, you know, so well known. And then they throw me in there, and they're like, well, go up and harass a, a politician on the hill. And back in those days, <laughs> um, things were a lot easier. You'd go to the scrum, and you'd kind of jump in the middle and ask a question and do something silly. And people kind of expected it and whatever. Uh, but they didn't know who I was. So it was kind of rough at the start of, of it. But um, I remember uh, two things about I was straight, uh, straight me was a question's willingness to do anything. Like I go up to interview someone, you know, yeah. uh, they're up there, some MP. And then I go, I wonder if I could go up by the PM's office and see if he might be around. So you go up there and you kind of, you know, there's that hallway and there's different levels you have to get past, you know, until eventually you get up to the, uh, so you go up there and ask the guards, like, ah, could you ask somebody to come out and be low, see if you can do something? And then they, you end up talking to some nice lady who's like, oh, I see what you want to do, hang on, come in, and you'd wait, and they'd go around the corner, and be like, what? You go around the corner, who? <laughs> and then they okay, good, 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 I'll come out. <laughs> do you want me to wear a lampshade? Like, no, 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 I just want to talk to you for a second. He's always overly eager. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes with this, and then even, you know, Stephen Harper, when he was a uh, an opposition member uh, before he was prime minister, he'd kind of come up and want to do stuff. And he was always quite funny and great with impressions, of course, but always had a good idea. It was always very funny. But then when he was in, became prime minister, it's like, oh, no, no bloody way. Not going <laughs> to do that. <laughs> now, were you involved in that Carolyn Parish uh, fiasco thing? Oh, yeah, I was. So what happened with that was, so Carolyn Parish, of course, uh, liberal MP and uh, Martin was prime minister and George Bush has you know the Iraq war was going on and she had been quoted and overheard by the press saying things like Americans uh, I hate the bastards and you know George Bush is an idiot and, and she was very anti uh, that war and anyway so I went to do an interview with her uh, and kind of talking about trying to make peace trying to have her say, like, you know, well, Americans aren't all that bad, which is what the intent was going to be. And then I had, when I was leaving the office, one of our writers had this George Bush doll on, on their desk, you know? And I was like, oh, can I take that? It's great. So I was kind of holding it up, saying, could you talk to the doll? And, you know, apologize to the doll. Try apologizing this way. 
Anyway, at the end of it, um, we're just doing a little promo, just getting B-roll shots, right? Yeah. And so she takes the doll and throws it down a step side. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, you know, that's nice. I, we aren't gonna, I don't think we're going to use that. We're going to think about it. But because we're shooting in Ottawa, right before our show aired that week, we fed it to Halifax over the satellite system or whatever, where it bounced from Ottawa to Toronto and then was fed to Halifax. Meanwhile, I'm on the plane leaving Ottawa and, uh, and coming to uh, Halifax to take the show. So I'm on the plane. I don't know anything happened. What happened was reporters see this being fed. Uh, there happened to be up in the uh, you know control room. Yeah. Is that Carol Parrish stepping on George Bush doll? <laughs> and they take that clip like, that's news. We're going to have it. And they take it and they put it on the news before our piece even aired. So I land, I walk into uh, the studio, like, hey guys, how's it going? And I said, what the hell did you do? <laughs> it was an international incident. Yeah, they said, Parrish, what did you do? And I said, just interview, we have And it just, it's one of those cool things like the movies. The guy, uh, Mark Farrell, who was our executive producer, he turns on the TV. And there's Don Newman. And he's going like, uh, we have the footage here now. We're going to play it this time in slow motion. Helen <laughs> Parrish is stepping on the door. What does this mean? And they have a panel. like you know, they got Oh, the, yeah, they got the panel analyzing it. Yeah. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then uh, at one point, uh, uh, somebody says on the panel, the only thing that could have been worse would be if she had taken, they had, she had taken a needle and started putting it in his head like a voodoo doll. Yeah. And then Don Newman pauses, touches his ear, and says, actually, I've just been told we have that tape, too. <laughs> and I had said to her, you know, took her out, like, okay, this is a voodoo doll. We were together and held her pen to be the pen. And she's well into the least damage, and she's just stabbed him in the head. I'm like, okay, I did do that. I, I did do that. <laughs> oh Your Honor, I am guilty. And then that night on the National, the National started with Maverick going, perish the thought. What does this stuff mean for a Canadian... Uh, American relations, and then of course she got booted out. It became a big thing, and I called her and, and, and apologized. And she was fine. She understood how it all went, and she's had a good career. You know, we'll call no, she's she's been fine. Uh, could you imagine if Donald Trump had been uh, president uh, when oh, this? Well, that would be, and especially today with social media and stuff. Uh, oh yeah. It was on the news and Nobody, you know, really knew about that in the states. But my God, if, if that had been tweeted out by someone, he would have retweeted it. But anyway, so you never know. Can I never? I mean, you've been on the show. But I never really try to no, it's it's all fun, and like uh, I will say, as one of your occasional guests, I mean, we've had some fun doing it, and uh, half the battle is to stifle one's own laughter, right? Because you're you're having you're having fun. Like we we did this setup in one of the parliamentary elevators once, you and I, where uh, you were trying to. Uh, you were trying to interview people, and I was pressing all the buttons in the elevator because I wanted to talk to you about open data, and I wouldn't let you yeah, leave. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it was just like, and I had this frenzied, crazed look in my eyes. So, you know, it's just, just fun stuff like that, and uh, it allows the, it, it, quite frankly, it allows politicians to let loose a little bit and have a little bit of fun, and um, I think it's good for everybody, to be honest with you. It humanizes people, and now sometimes you get people, you know, uh, who who might say like oh it's just your favorite about your favorite one one party over another and and uh, you hate conservatives or oh you're too hard on uh, the prime minister or you're and I say no no it's like whoever the news is of the week or what's going on you talk about that or whatever you get 
But I mean, you know, it, it, it's not about that, you know, and I think, you know, sometimes people think, you know, it's an anti-conservative view or whatever, but I mean, a lot of the, you know, yourself and McKay and Michelle Rampo, and like, we've had all these people on uh, over the years, uh, if, if they'll come on, you know, and sometimes people don't really know the show. I remember John Beard ran down the hall to get away from the show once. I spoke to the interview and he looted <laughs> it down the hall. And, but at the end of the hall, the fall at the press gallery dinner, the door was locked. On the other hand, <laughs> so we had nowhere to go. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, we start over. I'm like, no, we're not going to start over. This is what we're going to use. It's gold. It's gold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's fine. And if people don't want to do it, like, it's changed. Like, back in the old days, people didn't know the show, and, and they weren't used to it. They didn't want to do it. So you had to kind of pop out of nowhere and chase people and try to get them. And then now it's more like you can't do that because people do know the show. Remember when all the, uh, remember the big lunch wave of, NDP MPs came in and they're all these really young. Oh, yeah. I went to go interview one and then one said, oh, Mr. Critch, I, I grew up watching you with my parents. And I was like, oh, God, no. <laughs> yeah. I'm like way older than the MPs now. What's happening? Exactly. <laughs> hey, you, you've, played Don, you've played Donald Trump, though, uh, on the show. Uh, oh, yeah. Is uh, how do you how do you get prepped to do that? Do you have to sort of get in a zone to do that, or how does it work? Well, very much so. Like I, it's, the people really like the Donald Trump stuff, and it's uh, the thing is, if you're just always very, very confident, uh, you're very, very sure of what you're saying, but as you start the sentence, you don't even know how it's going to end, or maybe it won't. There's tremendous look at it. It's a tremendous sentence. It's the best. Ever. As long as you're completely confident yes. what you're saying. And then have little, you know, side trips, you know, like he never goes from point A to B. No, no, no never. Execute or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever met him? I've never met uh, President Trump. I, I've uh, met uh, Presidents uh, Bush, Obama, Clinton, and Bush Sr. So uh, President Trump, so far, no, no. Have you met him? No, I haven't. I, I got in the... Uh, been in the White House briefing room a couple of times yeah. and the World Garden. And uh, but I haven't been able to, uh, uh, I haven't really tried hard yet. It's always a kind of, uh, you know, sh I, I actually was an observer at the uh, convention where he was nominated. Uh, as the 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 Republican nominee, and that was like uh, it was like a three ring circus. I'd I'd been to Democratic conventions and Republican conventions, and this was a train wreck. Uh, and uh, it took me by the fourth day. I figured out that Donald Trump didn't care that it was a train wreck. Uh, you know that that was not part of who he was or what he cared about. Very different politician than any other I've ever uh, you know. If, if not met, then sort of come into contact with. And, uh, yeah, he just plays by his own rules, as we've seen, you know, for better or for worse, probably a little bit of both. Oh, it's fascinating. You know, it is, it is uh, you can't predict it, you don't know. And then you get away with so much more when you do it that way, you know, because people go, oh, that's Donald. That's yeah. what he is. Well, of course he's going to say something outrageous. Meanwhile, if somebody else is elected to the same thing, you think that'll be the end of them, you know? But uh, you've got to get this... So how how are things in Newfoundland right now? I know our, our show is not live, but uh, are people doing okay with uh, COVID nineteen right now? I think so. Good thing is we're an island, so we're built in that way. Yeah. Uh, and, and we have but that you know, it, it, it's we have we have the oldest population in the country, of course, right? Yeah. So, for me, I mean. Um, 
uh, you know, it is very, uh, respiratory illnesses are, are already quite prevalent here. So um, it, if it did hit here in a big way, it would be, you know, uh, a very bad thing. But uh, right now, um, we have, as of now, we have one case. Okay. Um, and uh, I think that's, you know, that person is in quarantine. And now more and more people coming home. Of course, you know, we have our snowbirds now. Yeah. Starting to come back. Yeah, so uh, they've got to sort of self-isolate. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, all the snowbirds are returning, and uh, we wish them good health, and we wish you good health, and all of your fellow Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. And uh, Mark Critch, great to have you on our podcast, and uh, I look forward to more of your stories in Son of a Critch Part Two. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for always uh, being such a good sport with the show. Uh, It's always been good to have somebody up there, you know, that you can grab, and you know, always. uh, uh, do it and uh, you know it's a brave thing to do you've always been a great friend of the show and we really appreciate that well I've always been a fan of your show and uh, thanks for being part of the podcast that has uh, had uh, some very uh, a motley crew of guests but you're uh, you're you're fun to have We're, we really appreciate it all right buddy all, all, right, all right bud take care